Hi, everybody. This is Mike Hopkins. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Uh, today's exciting. This is our third week in our The New Exodus sermon series we've been going through over the past few weeks. This conversation is all about the Jews who are leaving exile and they're returning back home to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple, rebuild their walls, rebuild the whole city and their culture and their Jewish beliefs all at once. And so this is a really cool conversation because many of us may be going through something similar, maybe not returning home per se, but actually we're leaving maybe a bad situation and we're going into something new and we don't know what we should do. Well, the great thing that we've been doing is we've been looking at what the Jews did. What were some of their first steps? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how one of the first things they did once they got back to their home was they took up an offering and they sacrificed their time, their talents, and their treasures. Well, today's conversation, we're talking all about worship and the purpose of the church. We even talked a little bit about our actual purpose at 17th Street. I'm here in Corbin and what our purpose is. So you'll get to go, you'll hear that a little bit toward the end of today's message. Um, but worship and the church are two very important things and they kind of coincide with each other. And so we're really gonna break that down. So, hey, we would love it if you would come join us one Sunday morning, every Sunday at 11 o'clock. Uh, you are welcome, more than welcome to come join. Go to our website at www.17scc.com. You can actually watch or even live stream all of our services there and get more information about the church. If you enjoy this message, I just ask you kindly that you would share it with somebody, hit the like button, subscribe, um, give it to someone else who maybe needs to hear this message. So hopefully it can draw them closer to God as well. So again, thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to 17th Street. Thank you guys so much for being here today. If you're visiting with us or if I didn't get to say hi to you earlier or, hey, or if you're watching online for the first time, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the minister here and I'm excited uh, that you are here today. But really quickly before we jump into today's conversation, um, if you were here with us last week, hopefully if you were or are a mother or even if you were a lady in general, hopefully you left feeling empowered. Hopefully, that was the goal. If not, I apologize. It didn't work out. Um, but last week, our whole conversation, it wasn't just about you moms, but it was really about all women in general. You do not have to be a mother to have influence in this world. You don't even have to be a man to have influence in this world. We all have influence, and women, that includes you. We opened up the Bible, and we looked at all these different examples of different women who led, who empowered others, who had influence, and it wasn't just because they were moms. It was because when they had an opportunity to step up, they stepped up, and God was glorified. Because at the end, the only thing that matters is what Proverbs 31 says. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We need God-fearing women to help lead people. And so hopefully um, you were able to get that um, from last week, and hopefully you were able to be spoiled a little bit too whenever you got home, moms. Hopefully... Uh, you know, hopefully the hubbies did the dishes or the kids did the dishes or something. Hopefully you, you know, you were able to enjoy some lemonade that we gave away out last week and be spoiled just a little bit. But today we're going to kind of jump back into our current sermon series, The New Exodus. This is a series that I'm enjoying. This is our third week in it. And we're talking all about the Jews who have been in, uh, who have been in Babylonian exile for about 70 years. And now they are being sent back home to Jerusalem. They've been captive. Uh, they've been, we don't really want to use the word enslaved, even though it's kind of true, but it doesn't mean they were persecuted every day. Maybe their religious freedoms were persecuted, but it wasn't like they were being whipped and tortured every single day. 
Some, maybe, but let's not think that they were just in prison during this time. And the first thing they did, is, well, it's, it's interesting because they are asked to being, they are now being allowed to go back home. But if we remember, they've been there for 70 years. Some of these kids were born into exile. Jerusalem's not my home. Why would I want to go to this place I've never been that Grandpa Joe just keeps talking about, the good old days. He tells the stories around the table. Like, I don't want to go back home. But many of them did. And it takes so much faith, the fact that they did that. And it's interesting, whenever they got there, what was the first thing they did? They took up offerings, made sacrifices of their time. They sacrificed their treasures, their money, and they sacrificed their talents. And the whole point was this, that it is impossible to be obedient about making sacrifices to God daily. It is impossible to be obedient without making sacrifices in your everyday life. And so it kind of makes you ask that question, are you making daily sacrifices? Because if you're not, then maybe you're not being obedient to Christ. That was our whole conversation a couple of weeks ago. But today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you, I'm going to be honest, for a couple of minutes, uh, I'm going to complain a little bit. Yeah, Mike's turn. Okay, I'm going to complain a little bit, okay? Uh, I'm not going to be very preachery just for a minute or two, okay? So I'm just, I'm just warning you, all right? Is it just me? I feel like every single Sunday it's pretty outside. You notice that? I mean, every now and then, you know, we get the rain, it's cold. But it's always pretty. Have you noticed that? So why do we have to spend all day indoors? Everybody else is out golfing, and, you know, they're out enjoying the weather, mowing the yard. They're out enjoying the sunshine. Why are we inside that's just not fair. I don't know whose idea it was to make NFL Sunday on Sunday. Like, I mean, it's impossible for the Packers to have a prime time slot if there's not something going on on Sunday. Like, I mean, I'm just going to complain a little bit. It's not fair. I don't like it. I, like, I don't get to golf that often, but I really like it, and I love to watch it on TV, and I just, I watch the, like, ah, oh, man, so imagine golfing on a Sunday morning. The trees and the breeze, like, Mike, you need to shut up. But... I read a story the other day about a pastor who his church was right across the street from the local um, country club. And so every single Sunday morning, he would pull into the parking lot, he would turn right, while on his left, he would look at all the golfers out there on the course, and he'd get jealous and whatnot. Well, there was one day, it was pretty, it was sunny, 75 degrees, he's driving in, and he just starts to notice the golfers. He's like, ah, man, I got to go preach today, but look at them, they're just having so much fun. Ah, that'd be nice. He looks back to the road, and a deer jumps right in front of him. He has to dodge it, and he barely misses, causing this big accident. And in that moment, he stopped just for a second, and he's like, God, I'm sorry that I got distracted. We are easily distracted, aren't we? We're so easily distracted. And I know that story may sound kind of silly, like, Mike, you're complaining too much, but I think we get distracted too easily don't we? Especially when it comes to church. There's a movie called Chariots of Fire. It came out in 1981. It tells the story of several British Olympic athletes. One of their names is Eric Liddell. He was a devout Christian. You can see him there in the picture. And when he learns that his first qualifying heat is actually on a Sunday at the Olympics, but he says, I'm not going to run this qualifying heat. I'm not going to do it. Sunday is my Sabbath day. It's the day where I'm supposed to be off. It's the day where I'm going to worship. I'm not going to run the Olympics because it oversteps my priorities in my life. The coaches try to convince him. Even British royalty in the movie say, no, you need to do this. Like, hey, it's just one Sunday. It'll be, it'll be okay. And at the end of the day, he's like, I'm not going to do it. 
because my dedication is more important than this sport. And I'm not here casting stones, by the way, if you ever miss a Sunday. But when it's regular, when we make regular compromises, I wonder what it tells God. You know, we make compromises for things that aren't that important to us. You notice that? We compromise on things that we really don't care that much about. So ask yourself today, what are you compromising? What are you giving up on? Here's some examples. You know, we compromise our diets because cheeseburgers are better than abs, right? We, we care more about flavor than we do maybe looking good and feeling good. It's just the truth. We compromise our finances because the new shiny toy or car or trip is a little bit more attractive than, you know, the long-term stability. We compromise our marriages Whenever the, the lady or the guy down the hall is a little more new and a little more shiny and maybe, you know, we, we like that a little bit better. We compromise. We compromise God when we constantly choose things over him. So today, what are you choosing in place of God? What are you compromising? What are you compromising? What are you doing? So I put this, today we're going we're to talk a lot about um, really two big categories, and, and, and the first one is this. Whenever I say the word church today, I don't want you to think as, you know, the body of believers. I don't want you to think of that definition. I don't want you to think as the whole, you know, big C church, you know, the, all of Christians on earth. I, I don't want you to think about that, because when I ask you, you know, what is church, you could give me a very deep explanation, but when I say the word church, I want you just to think about the building today. Like this right here is church. That's the definition I want to work with today whenever I use the word church. So answer this question. It's in your bulletin. What is the purpose of the church? It's a pretty basic question, isn't it? Maybe not a basic answer, depending on how deep you want to think. I put this question on Facebook the other day. I love doing that just to get people's opinions. And I'm going to read some of them to you. I got a lot, so I'm not going to read them all. But these are what some of the people, some of my friends on Facebook said that in their opinion, I asked the question, in, my, in your opinion, what is the definition, what is the purpose of church? These are some of the ones I got. Edification is one. Chiefly to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Preaching the gospel includes service and protection of the poor and needy. That was a deep answer. To, wor to worship my Jesus in word and deed and the Lord's Supper. To thank him for what he did on the cross. He took my sins away. To fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This one says, to be a mountain of worship to Yahweh and to intercede for the broken. This one says, glorify God, equip the saints, seek the lost. This one says, to make me feel closer to God, more in his presence, for my inner peace, and to meet with family and friends who also feel pleasure in being in his house. One said to be fishers of men. This person literally said, not in my opinion, but biblically speaking, the church exists to glorify the Father. Last one. This person said, to worship, to fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. You know, it's interesting, when you ask that question, you get a lot of different answers, don't you? And they have, you know, some root similarities. And Like, if you look at your neighbors right now, bulletin, you may have some similarities. But the question is, what is the purpose of church? There's a theme that you may have seen in a lot of these answers or a lot of your answers. It may not be in all of them. But one of the themes in there you saw was worship. Worship is something that goes kind of hand in hand with church. And so I answered this question in your bulletin. I didn't put this one on Facebook. What is worship? Don't open up the dictionary, but in your mind, in your opinion, what is worship? Did you write down singing, 
Did you write down dancing? Did you write down prayer, good deeds? What in your eyes is worship? These are the two big categories we're going to kind of hit on today. Um, if you open up the New Testament, the Greek word for the word church, it's one of the few Greek words I remember from college or so, um, is ekklesia. It's the Greek word for church used in the, New Te- in the New Testament. And it means to be a called out assembly. Whenever we gather for church, we are a called out assembly. We are here for a purpose. We are called out. We are assembling to do something. And worship, this is Mike's definition of worship, is to give glory to God. Very basic. You're like, well, Mike, you left out like, you know, 14 paragraphs of information. But that's, that's Mike's definition of worship is to give glory to God. So, so uh, but what does that mean? I'm going to use Jenna as an example, okay, my wife. If I was to worship Jenna, these would be some of the things I would do. I would constantly tell her all the things I love about her. Like, Mike, you started to be doing that. But I would constantly tell her all the things I love about her. I'd sing her praises. Like, honey, you're so uh, perfect. I'd do all that. I would tell everyone I know that would be a form of worship. If I I would do anything for her, I would serve her in any possible way. I would get things for her. I would do this. I would do this. I would do this. And I would never say no. That would be a way for me to, in quote, that would be worshiping her. I want to read you some quotes about worship. Worship is a believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and what God does. But this one, A.W. Tozer, many of you have heard of him. No man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. But this one. If you come to worship for any reason other than the joy and pleasure and satisfaction that are to be found in God, you dishonor him. God's greatest delight is your delight in him. I like that one. Corporate worship is a regular gracious reminder that is not about you. It's a good one. We must never rest until everything inside us worships him. Showing glory. What's the Bible say about worship? Psalms 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in the almighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Notice I said cymbals twice. Um, Praise him, praise him. Worship is one of the things that the Jews did as soon as they got back to Jerusalem. Two weeks ago, we said that what was the first thing they did when they got back? They took up an offering. They had to get, you know, everybody on the same page. They had to get money. That way they could get the building. That wasn't the only thing they did. Some of the first things they do is worship. So therefore, when we gather, we should worship. Let's read today. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 3 if you want to open up. But we're also going to be in Ezra chapter 9 um, here in just a few minutes. This is what it says, Ezra 3, starting in verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice offerings on it. According to what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, despite the fear of peoples around them, they built this altar on its foundation. They sacrificed burnt offerings onto the Lord both in morning and evening. They got together, they built an altar, because this is before the time of Jesus, so what was one of the ways they worshipped was they made sacrifices. They worshipped God together. 
We have been called to worship God together. And it's interesting, as time passed, you know, people, they start to settle into their new homes. The, the city is getting rebuilt. People are kind of getting more comfortable into their everyday lives. Jerusalem is coming back together. They still gathered to worship. They made it a priority. They didn't ignore it. They didn't do something else. They prioritized worshiping. And today we're going to kind of look at a few reasons on why we worship today. Okay, And they're going to be in your bulletin. You can kind of follow along. But when we read that passage right there, there's two big things the Jews are doing when they're worshiping is this. They're remembering and they're anticipating. They're remembering and they anticipate. So here's the thing. When we worship, when I use the word worship today, I'm just going to talk about in song. Okay, I know there's many other definitions, but again, that's the definition I'm going to go with today. Whenever we worship God in song, we should remember, remember what? We should remember the deeds he's done for us. Remember earlier I said if I was going to worship Jenna, I would say all the great things about her. When we worship God, we should speak or sing of the great things about him. We should remember and we should anticipate. Whenever we come to God in worship, we should remember how much he's done for us in our lives. But then we should anticipate what he's still going to do. When was the last time in worship you did those two things? We remembered God's goodness, and we anticipated his glory and his, how he's going to come in and change our lives. I wrote down a couple songs. It, it was really funny. Whenever we did that song, Do It Again, that's one song that really speaks to me. I didn't know we were doing it this Sunday until just the other day. Um, I think it was after I wrote this message. Uh, that, that's one song that gets to me very quickly. The reason why is because that was a new song that was really being introduced to the previous church whenever dad got cancer, before he passed away. And I remember every single time we would get together, we'd sing that song. It's like, God, you'll do it again. You've got me through the past. We remembered what he's done. You're going to get us through this in the future. One of my favorite songs, we do it all the time because I like it, is Sea of Victory. You're probably sick and tired of it because we do it so often. I love the song. I think about it when I hear those words and, and I start thinking, it's like I, I, I get worried because I start thinking about all my sin and my, my struggles I have and I'm just, uh, I get so anxious. And, but then I sing that chorus as I'm going to see a victory and I anticipate God's glory and this comforts me in ways I can't explain. Another one of my favorite songs is Blessed Be Your Name. There's a verse that goes, Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, Lord, blessed be your name. I sing that, and I remember what God's done, and that's why I'm still going to sing to him even when I feel like I'm in the desert. When we worship, we should remember what Christ has done, and we should anticipate what he's going to do. In other words, well, it's, it's, if we keep reading through Ezra, we're not going to today, but you'll notice is after they gathered, after they sacrificed, after they worshiped, work happened. They got to work. The city was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. In other words, worship should lead to action. When we worship God, when we are praising him, when we're remembering what he's done for us, when we're anticipating on what he will do, it should lead us into action. When was the last time worship led you to action? Worship should lead us to action. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9. You know, Nehemiah 9, it kind of gives us an image later in the story. You know, God's people, they're coming together to worship. And in this passage, it serves as a couple, it shows a couple more functions beyond just remembering and anticipating. Look at this, Nehemiah 9, verse 2. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins 
and the sins of their ancestors. When they got together to worship, they remembered Christ, or well, he's not, they remember God, they anticipate God, but they also did what? They confessed and they repent. When we come to worship, we should be reminded of our sin. Then it should lead us to action to confess our sins and then to repent of our sins. Those are the next two that are in your bulletin. Worship, should, we should remember what Christ has done. We should anticipate what he will do, but then it should make us confess our sins and then we should repent. So then worship should lead to action. Worship should lead to action. Mike, that's hard for me to do. I'm not a music person. Well, I hope you're a God person. But maybe the next time, whenever we go into a song to worship and we speak about the things, and we think about the things God has done and the things that he will do, instead of saying, oh, this song again, ah, it's too loud. How about for a second we just pray, God, soften my heart. Show me what it is I need to repent of. God, draw near to me. God, show me what it is you need me to do. Because we get that when we worship correctly. If we don't, we're just singing. We're just, that's all we do. Worship should lead us into a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time of remembering, and a time of anticipation. It's what the Jews did, it's what we've been called to do. Another thing, is, it's really interesting, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, we're talking about the Jews who are leaving exile. They just went through a time of, you know, not complete freedom, not time whenever they were, you know, completely free, but yet they still chose to worship. If you were with us Wednesday night, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and we were in the part where Paul and Silas were in prison. And it's interesting, whenever they were imprisoned, you know, before God shook the prison cells and the shackles fell off and they were able to escape, what were they doing? They were singing. They were worshiping, even though they were in times of trouble. If we're not, if we don't practice worship regularly, we'll never do it when we're in times of trouble. Did, did you hear that? If we don't worship regularly, if it's not a habit in our lives, we'll never do it when we're in times of trouble. It's one of the first things I go to whenever I'm deciding, man, it's been a day. Satan is really working on me. I get in my car and I worship. I put on songs that speak to me and I, I just sing and it just makes me feel good because I can anticipate what God's about to do. What he's about to do is get me out of this mess I got myself into. If worship's not a regular part of your life now, it won't be whenever you need God most. I want, we're going to kind of switch, shift here just a little bit for a second. At 17th Street, we want to take these two things very, very seriously. What two things? The purpose of the church, this physical church, and we also want to take worship very seriously. We want this to be a place that's not focused on ourselves, but a place that's focused on loving God and loving others. I used to always tell the teens, I'd always say, hey guys, uh, you know what your purpose in life is? Your purpose is to love God and love others. You can do that in a million different ways depending on what your calling is, but if you do those two things, you're going to be doing it right. Love God and love others. That's our goal as a church, to get people to do that. And my goal is I want every single time someone steps into our, the, these doors, every single time we enter into a time of worship, if you can just confess of one sin, or if you can remember God's goodness or anticipate his goodness, it was a success. That's the goal as we gather to sing. And listen, I, I, this is literally in my notes. So I put these words. I am not an idiot. I am very much aware that the church today, here at 17th Street Christian Church, is very different now than what it was a year and a half ago. I get that. Things have changed, you know, with maybe the, with the preaching style, the classes, you know, the music, the way things are bought, spent. Say, 
things have changed. I completely understand that and think when it, but the thing is when change happens, it makes us uncomfortable. Amen? Uh, amen, yeah, I got a lot of <laughs> But things have to. Remember whenever you were younger, remember whenever you would hit those growth spurts and your bones would hurt, oh, <laughs> remember that? And you're like, you'd wake up when you're in high school and your knees hurt because you grew so quick. You know, when we grow, the bones ache. They're called growing pains. I like to use this example of, you know, I, I want you to imagine that the church is, we're, we're on a boat, we're out in the ocean. You know how easy it would be just to sit on the water, enjoy the tan, and wave around, don't do nothing, just enjoy the peace that you'll never get anywhere. You don't turn on the engines. You gotta get somewhere. But the problem is, is when you start accelerating, you're on a boat that gets going fast, what happens? Waves. And then you get a little scared, don't we? And then when we get scared, we wanna do two things. We either wanna mutiny the captain, please don't do that, or you wanna jump overboard. I encourage you, don't jump off the boat. Let's get where we're going. Where we're going is hopefully a place that glorifies God every single day. We've been talking a whole lot as a leadership of the church here. Uh, what is our purpose? And we're still trying to find what our exact niche is in this community to where we can serve God every single day, every single thing we do. But we're about to make a big change starting today. The big change is we are defining what our purpose is here at this church. I, I, I kind of did an experiment over the past few months. I just asked a few random people, said, hey, what's the mission statement of this church? No one could tell me. They maybe get a little spurts in there, but no one could say it. I want every single time someone comes into these doors, they know this is why this church exists, and I'm on board or I'm off board. Nothing in the middle. We have to define our reasoning of why we are here. And if it doesn't go back to that, then we probably don't need to do it. If it's funny when we look at the scripture, you know, the church is what? The bride of Christ, right? And we've been called to be more Christ-like, so our church should be modeled after what Christ did. And this is what we do. Church, our mission of 17th Street Christian Church is this. We exist to grow God's kingdom. That is the mission of 17th Street Christian Church. We exist to grow God's kingdom. Every single sermon, every single song, every single event, every single hire, every single fire, every single dollar, every single thing that we do from this point forward goes to accomplishing that goal. And if it doesn't, then it's more about us than it is about God. That's our new mission statement as a church, is to grow God's kingdom. Well, Mike, how are we going to do that? You can kind of see there below, that's kind of the vision kind of below that, is we're going to plant, we're going to water, and we're going to harvest. Like, well, we're going to open up a greenhouse. No, 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 no. We're going to do this in three different ways. We will plant seeds every single opportunity we have. We will, as long as we're not sinning, we will do absolutely anything to introduce someone to the glory of the Father. I don't care what it takes as long as we're not sinning. We are going to get addicted to planting seeds in this community. And we are going to plant, and we are going to plant, and we're going to plant. And we may only watch a few of them grow, but we will plant seeds every time we can. We will then water them. We're about to get very serious about some discipleship programs here at this church. The first one's actually about to kick off in July, and it's going to be a small group led by me for couples that are 30 or younger. We've already got a couple people interested. We're going to take that. We're going to grow. We're going to use that as an example, and the next person up is then going to start a group, and then another group. We're going to get serious about discipleship here. We're about to change a little bit of the way we're doing um, some of our kids' ministry stuff. You'll hear about that in our meeting here in just a little bit. We will not just plant seeds and say, good luck. We will help water you. And then the harvest. Those of you that have ever done a garden, you know how great it feels 
when you work your tail off for months and you finally get to enjoy that vegetable, that fruit, you know what I'm talking about? Whenever we plant the seed and we water, and every now and then when God lets us experience a little bit of fruit, we are going to celebrate. We are going to enjoy the harvest. This is how we are going to grow God's kingdom. And I hope don't jump off the boat. Father God, Lord, forgive us for being too self-centered at times and not you-centered. God, help us in everything we do. God, help us to stay focused to whatever we do. It's only for you and your kingdom. God, we plant seeds. God, we water. God, and every now and then we get to enjoy your fruit. God, help us to stay on track. God, as we start something new into this community. God, help us. God, if there's someone here today who maybe does not know you, but this whole idea of worship and everything is really kind of hitting them more, speak to them right now. Let them make a decision to choose you, not the things they're compensating. Please. God, we thank you, Lord. We love you, and we say this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if that sounds pretty exciting to you, to grow God's kingdom, and you're not a part of this church, I want to open the invitation to come and join. Because we're about to get very serious about it. But if you're also here today, and maybe you haven't given your life over to Christ, but you're ready to, because you can feel him talking to you, and whenever you sing, you hear, the, you remember, and you anticipate, I would love to have a conversation with you about Jesus. If you want to choose him today, come talk. Or maybe you've been a follower your whole life, you've been here your whole life, but you're sick and tired of doing whatever it is you've been doing, and you want to confess, you want to repent, you want to be rededicated to God. I encourage you to come. As we stand, if you need to talk, you need to make a decision, won't you come? Let's stand and sing.